Alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Reformed Dissenters. Thank you so much for watching us or listening to us today. My name is Bruce Johnson. I'm joined in the wonderful state of South Dakota with my good friends, uh, Joseph Lassiter. Hello. We're also joined by my brother, Jacob Johnson, back in Pennsylvania. Hello. And my and mine and Jacob's dad, Frank Johnson, back in Pennsylvania hello. as well. So, uh, yeah, so we, the, the funny thing is it's actually been, what is, it's been 10 episodes since we had our mom on the show. So now exactly 10 minutes or 10, 10 minutes, minutes. Yeah. 10 episodes later, we have our dad on the show. So very excited um, to have him joining us today. So thanks so much for joining us. Um, we're going to be talking about some really cool stuff today. Um, but if you would like to share this show with your friends, um, if you would like to find our other platforms that we're on, whole bunch of stuff is on our brand new website, trdshow.net. Go to that link, uh, share it with as many people as you can. You can email the show or use our contact form on that website. Email the show at trdshow at protonmail.com. We want to hear from you. Send us an email. Tell us what you think of the show. Tell us if you have questions. Tell us if you have answers to questions we asked on the show. We want to hear from our audience. If you're if you're interested in uh, hearing us do deep dives into some of the current events that we talked about, you're going to have to follow us on our pro-First Amendment platforms. That includes Gab, Gab TV, Rumble, and Getter. So follow us on those platforms, or you're going to miss out on some cool content. A couple announcements. I'm going to keep it brief. Um, I know this is the third show in a row that we've done announcements, and I don't like to do this, but... When we have an event coming up on April 7th here in Rapid City, I have to keep announcing it and so that we keep getting signups. So, cross-politic event, you've heard it now for two weeks in a row. Here's your third week. Third reminder, if you haven't signed up for this already, go sign up. Go to crosspolitik.com slash liberty tour right now. And tour, how do you guys say it here in the Midwest? Tour. Tour? Tour. Tour? All right. It's a tour. Well, we say tour, so I'm just going to say that. Um, <laughs> so, if you haven't heard of Cross Politic, yeah, our producer's over there shaking his head. If you haven't heard of Cross Politic or the Fight Laugh Feast Network before, here's a brief description, okay? Cross Politic is a community of Christians who desire to see the lordship of Christ in every corner of our culture, reigning over every politician and changing every individual for our good and his glory. So again, this event is on April 7th here in Rapid City. We've got comedian John Brannion, we've got Larry Elder, we've got Gary Namar, Pastor Toby Sumter, and the rest of the Cross Politic team, and it's hosted by... Yours truly, and by that I mean Joe, Jake, and I, uh, the Reformed Dissenters, we are helping to host that as well. So go to crosspolitic.com slash liberty tour, click on the register here button underneath the second show, Christianity, Liberty, and Politics, and we'd love to see you here in Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, our new merch store is now available on our website. Woo! So if you would like to help support our show, and we would so very much appreciate your support, Go to our website, trdshow.net, click the merch store link up in the nav bar, or scroll down on the homepage. There's an ad, a little bit of an ad for it. Click the merch store button and uh, go to our merch store. Grab some merch. Uh, it is now possible for you to get some cool looking mugs like this. And I do apologize if you're a podcast listener and you're confused right now, but uh, I'm holding up a mug. So um, it has our, our logo on it and some, some cool stuff on the other side too, including our name and our verse. So... Grab yourself a t-shirt, a hoodie, a sticker, a mug, all sorts of cool stuff on that uh, merch store site. All right. Hey, how about that? Huh? I got the I got the announcements done. How Just, about a water bottle? I'm getting Is that coming soon? Water bottle, hopefully. Hopefully. If you guys have like merch that you'd like us to have on the site and you want us to make some new merch, you know, send us an email. 
send us a, a message. We want to hear from you. All right. Our theme this month is effectively giving answers for the hope that lies within us. Effectively giving answers for the hope that lies within us. So obviously apologetics is a massive part of that. And apologetics on very different levels. Um, and uh, so today we're going to be discussing that theme with our guest this month, which is our, or this week, which is uh, mine and Jacob's dad, Frank Johnson. Uh, and then after we have that discussion, um, we're going to move into the literature of the month and, and uh, our guest is going to stick around with us through that segment as well. And uh, this month we're reading Always Ready by Greg Bonson. So definitely stick around. We've got some really exciting stuff coming up. But before we get to all of that, we have to talk about the verse of the week. And our verse this week is 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 through 5. And it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And again, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5. So, the weapons of our warfare. You know, we, we were talking a couple weeks back about what it looks like to wage this culture war, right? What does it look like? You know, that verse that talks about the gates of hell will not prevail, right? We talked about them being gates, their defenses. We are on the attack. We're attacking the gates of hell, right? What are the weapons that we use to attack, right? So this verse is directly speaking to that. The weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power, which is infinitely more powerful than weapons of the flesh, right? Divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, right? We've been talking about epistemology this whole month, which Bonson's been harping on epistemology like crazy. And as we've talked about, epistemology is the study of knowledge. So every opinion raised against the, the knowledge or epistemology of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we talked about that section on the verse as well. So really, or, or on the show last week as well. So really this verse ties into everything we've been discussing this whole time. And I, I thought this fit really well. So anything you guys want to add to that discussion before we move on? All right, cool. Awesome. Well, we are going to try and keep things rolling today. So that's cool. All right, let's move on and, uh, and discuss with our guests. So, um, I guess I, I, I could give you a little bit of an introduction. You've been, um, so, you know, we all we talk about people coming from different uh, 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 backgrounds, right? And and God has given us all gifts, right? Um, I work in software engineering a lot, and Joe, you're working electrical, electrical fields, um, and Jake, you're you're working to be a chef. So, tell us just a little bit about um, uh, uh, the audience about your background, maybe just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have uh, my own. Heating and air conditioning business. Uh, I did start out uh, many years ago, where I, I, uh, I believe the Lord had was leading me to become a pastor, and I did uh, go to get a bachelor's degree in the study of the Bible. Uh, but you know, I got tired of sitting, <laughs> <laughs> and I quickly realized the Lord wanted me to, uh, to work with my hands, and uh, I've always fallen back on uh, the the studying of scripture and uh, pursuing uh, the word of God, but I never went into full-time ministry. Uh, I was an uh, elder in the Reformed Church for uh, six years and uh, and continued with that along with having my, my business uh, in nice. doing heating and air conditioning. Nice. 
Very cool. It's really good to, to have that background. And I'm sure as we as we discussed today, um, a lot of that's going to play in. But but also, you know, we we've we've talked in the past about how all of those backgrounds, what the, the, the gifts that God has given to you, mm. he will use for his glory and he'll use all of that. So it's it's just I, I love to, to talk to, to people from all these different backgrounds and, and we all come to the scripture for our ultimate source of truth. Um, so, all right, well, moving into our first discussion point, I have a few, uh, discussion points here. And so, you know, when we, when we first, uh, reached out and was like, Hey, we'd love to have our dad on the show sometime. We had our mom on, we'd love to have our dad on the show as well. That'd be really cool. Um, and I reached out and I was like, Hey, you know, when do you think you'd want to come on? And you mentioned apologetics. And so, we also, you know, we grew up listening for family devotions. You had Jake and I and all of us go through Greg Bonson's sermons a lot. And we've gone through his books a lot growing up. So it was kind of familiar. Um, and we've had those discussions our whole life. Um, so this will be really cool to, to kind of get into that and maybe shed some light on some areas that might have been confusing to uh, the audience a little bit. So um, so our, our first topic point, you know, the biblical warrant and need for apologetics commanded by God. So. I'll just open up the floor to uh, to you and maybe just give a little background as to uh, what you were what you were intending to to discuss there. Yeah, First uh, Peter chapter three verse fifteen. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Mm. Uh, this is a weapon of our warfare. Just uh, yeah. as you, you used your first verse there, uh, we are uh, our weapon of warfare is communication. Mm. And we argue, intellectually argue the faith. Yes. And, um, you know, they're often, unfortunately, in uh, years past, we, uh, the church has tried to be emotional Mm. Uh, you know, and saying, well, Jesus is my savior. I'm sure if you give him a chance, he'll be your savior too. (laughs) But that's not biblical. That's not what Paul did. That's not what Peter did. They argued for the faith. They gave sound reasoning and argued for the faith. Not that somebody can be brought in through just sound reasoning. It it is the, the work of the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't mean that we don't use sound reasoning. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess absolutely. That's for now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really good. And um it's been really neat to discuss that through Bonson's book as well, you know, talking about how uh and we're gonna get into this actually a little bit later, but you you can't, you know treating it as if uh that's just another viable worldview out there, you know, like, oh, it's just you can the I mean we're gonna get to the myth of neutrality a little bit later, but that's part of it too. Just saying, ah, oh, we can be neutral. The the whole myth of neutrality that that we're gonna get to later, which you know talks about that whole you can you can believe this. We'll 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 just all get along. It's fine. We don't have to argue for one perspective or the other. We uh, there is no ultimate truth, right? So, yeah, that's that's definitely we we need to be going and and, and pressing that right, being on the offensive, pressing that uh, with humble boldness, like we were talking about last week. Uh, anyone have anything else that they want to add to that discussion point before we move on to kind of the next point? Nope. Cool. Um, so 
I mean, we're going to move on to, to the myth of neutrality, which I think is a really good <laughs> kind of already segued into that, but this really good point to talk about, you know, uh, and you have here myth of neutrality, don't give up on the truth. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a, a big part of what we've been talking about on the show this whole time, that there is no neutrality, either you are for God or you are against God, right? Um, and we need to have that perspective when we, when we come into these sorts of discussions. So let's, uh, let's take it away. I'll open up the floor. What, uh, anything you'd like to, to add to that? Yeah, uh, definitely. When we borrow from, uh, from the world, when we jump to, now we get, we get nervous. We uh, think that, oh, well, the atheist is arguing from a position of science. We need to argue from a position of science. We we can't argue from the Bible. They don't believe in the Bible, so we can't argue from the Bible. Mm. As soon as you do that, what are you what are you arguing for? Yeah. Well, number one is the authority of Scripture. Well, I'm going to use the authority of science to argue for the authority of Scripture. <laughs> right. Sounds like I've already given up my belief system. Yeah. So we we can't be neutral. We have to go to the Word of God, and we then we have to show the atheists, that if they don't go to the word of God, then they've given up on reality. Mm. That science is not possible without the biblical worldview. And we'll, we demonstrate to that to them. Now, if they argue that, uh, that we're being circular, we can show them that they're being circular, and we're either both in the leaky boat of irrationality, <laughs> or we both have to we both admit that we have presuppositions. Yes. He, the atheist argues from his presupposition, and we argue from our presupposition, and we will show them that there is no way for them to argue without standing on the word of God. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Really good point. Um, and, you know, we when, when we discussed that, you know, you, you were talking kind of about uh, the um, common ground issue, which I, I think was really good to, to bring up. And um, that's actually what, what we were talking about last week. That was one of the attacks on presuppositionalism that, that Bonson was providing a defense for and saying that, you know, the, the unbeliever, just like you said, hey, you know, I have science, you have the word of God, how can we ever talk? You know, what, what's our common ground? Um, and Monson was saying, uh, we all live in a world created by God. We all live in a world where we are the Imago Dei, right? We were created in the image of God. We're image bearers. Um, that's our common ground. We, we utilize that as our common ground. So, yeah, great, great to bring that up. Um, yeah, a anything to add to that point, I feel like there's a lot more that could be said, but uh, maybe maybe we'll we'll bring that up as we go along. And a lot of these points too are are in the literature segment, so I'm I'm really excited to to get your uh, take, Dad, on on some of these uh, bullet points that we have in the literature segment as well. So anything to add before we move on? One thing I like to keep in mind and and think of as another strategy is asking questions, questions that would get probing questions, just hmm. questions that'll get them, okay, um, this makes sense. And as you continue to ask them questions, their their viewpoint starts getting to a point where it doesn't even make sense to them. So when you, <laughs> when you ask questions in a certain way, yes, it'll start making them doubt what they are even saying because they, they, 
they can't come up with the answer. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. The, Absolutely. The bunny trails that they go through. And that, I mean, that plays right into that. We're going to be talking about that, that proverb. And I wish I had, I forget the reference here, but we're, we're going to bring that proverb up. Um, during the, the, the literature segment of the show. And I'm, I'm actually trying to see if I can find it here because it's, it's really good. And, it, and this would be one to kind of look up to, um, Proverbs 15, five, what was Proverbs 15, five? What did that say? Um, well, anyways, we'll, we'll get to that. If you want to look it up, that's, that would be great. But, um, you know, that answer, a f- don't answer a fool, uh, according to his folly. And then the other half of that, the next verse is answer a fool according to his folly. And, and Bonson's like, he, he breaks that down because I, I know the first time I read that, I was like, wait a minute, doesn't that disagree with itself? But he explained that, you know, and we're going to get into this in a minute, but the, the second verse there is talking about you play it out, right? You play out their worldview. You answer them according to their folly and you show them how foolish, what their uh, biblical foolish, and we're going to talk about that biblical foolishness. Um, we're not insulting them to their face just to be condescending. We're, we're calling them what the Bible calls them, right? We're going to get into that in a second. But, but yeah, exactly what you're talking about, asking questions, showing them, playing out their worldview and where it actually ends up. Yeah, really good point. All right, well, uh, we good to move on. Anybody want to add anything or should we move on to the next bullet point? Cool. Um, okay, so next I have here that the unbeliever is a believer, uh, an underlying philosophy. And I, I think this is a, I mean, this is a huge, huge topic to get into. So uh, I see Jake over there nodding. So clearly we've got some, got some juices flowing here. So, um, but the, the unbeliever is a believer and I'm assuming the motivations behind this, but from what we've read so far, you know, they can deny it, but what they're doing is suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And I don't know if we mentioned the whole, maybe you could mention the, the beach ball example in, in the pool. Did either of you have that uh, illustration? Well, okay. Well, well, you have the beach ball, right? And it's it's huge. It's clear. It's obvious. It's like, I got a beach ball. But if you press it down under the water and you're trying to suppress that down under the water, is the beach ball gone? Mm-mm. No, it's, it's still there. You're suppressing <clears throat> it. You're pushing that down under the water in unrighteousness, right? That's that's the that's the the idea here you know the unbeliever is a believer there's that underlying philosophy so dad um this was your bullet point feel free to uh comment on that what was your original uh we can take this in two different ways uh in in the uh it it was actually uh rush dooney who talked about the uh, that uh the atheist is schizophrenic Hmm. uh the uh the atheist is trying to be an atheist, trying to uh, convince us of atheism while acting like Christians. Yes. So the uh, the atheist is a believer in that he has his own belief system, which isn't quite what you were saying, but the, the atheist has an underlying belief system. Hmm. Uh, and, and they... They should act according to that. We act according to our belief system, <laughs> uh, but they they don't act according to that belief system. Yes. They actually are acting according to our belief system. Mm. So they're, they're being schizophrenic. At one moment, they'll say atheism is true, and then they'll act like Christians. <laughs> so they, but the, the thing is, it's not we're not arguing faith against science. We're arguing faith against faith. Mm. Uh, 
one philo- philosophical belief system against another philosophical belief yes. belief system. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, could could you give us an example, maybe, of of where they are um, claiming atheism, but actually acting like a Christian with their with their actions? Uh. I can jump into bullet point uh, A. Is that all right? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. This is this is really uh, this is what destroys the atheist. This is this puts the nail in the coffin uh, <laughs> of the atheistic belief system. They, this is a total destruction, and this is the first one. Uh, <laughs> it, it, just, it just gets worse for them <laughs> yeah. for, from here. Uh, they say they're. Um, that uh, that they hold to science, they claim that they uh, that they can do science, but they're evolutionists. Hmm. They believe uh, in um, that work that the world around them is constantly evolving. <laughs> Therefore, it is changing. Yeah. But as Christians, we know that the world is not changing, that God is sustaining the universe. We see in, I believe it's um, uh, or in uh, Genesis chapter 8, that uh, where God is holding the universe yes. steady. We read so that during we, uh, the Raymond Simmons uh, book. He brought that verse yeah. up. Yep. So we, ha- we hold to uh, the uniformity of nature. Hmm. That nature it operates in a law-like fashion. Well, the atheist also believes the world operates in a law-like fashion. But if they're evolutionists, they cannot possibly hold to uh, nature operating in a law-like fashion because they believe it evolves. It's changing. So you question the atheist. Do you believe that God created the universe uh, in a law-like fashion? And they'll say, no, we don't. <laughs> It's like, well, then how do you go into the science lab knowing that whatever experiment you perform today couldn't possibly be the same tomorrow? Mm, the results, yeah. That's right. The The results of that, that experiment, because who knows, gravity may disappear tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. uh, based on your belief system, yeah. everything is a crapshoot. Everything <laughs> is, uh, you know, is up to speculation. Yeah. Who knows? Yep. Of course, the atheists will say, oh, we know it's going to be the same. Oh, how do you know that? <laughs> yeah. Your philosophy says it won't. So yep. why do you go into the science lab? So when an atheist goes into the science lab, he has to take off his atheism mm. and put on the Christian lab coat. That's really He has to act like a Christian when he goes into the lab. Yeah. And that's a really good example of a presupposition, right? They presuppose that things are going to be the same. But from their worldview, they don't have a, a, a reason to presuppose that, right? They, they don't have a reason to, to have that belief as part of their worldview. But it is there. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good, really good point. Anything else you guys want to add before we move on? Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for, for bringing that up. That's that's a really good uh, really example good example, and I think that really lays it out pretty well. Um, so yeah. So that was uh, you know the unbeliever is a believer, and then their their underlying philosophy behind that. Um, so we're gonna move into kind of a, a group of topics that all. Um, relate back to this central theme and and the the central theme is you know dismantling the unbelievers philosophy right so um all of these things are are key 
uh, uh, parts of their philosophy where they where they have holes, where they they can't provide actual reasonable answers, and so as a Christian, we've been commanded to give an answer, right? So now we're we're gonna give answers for these things that the unbeliever can't answer uh, logically. So the first one is inductive uh, inference, and and you said you kind of touched on that a little bit, but do you want to give some context to that phrase, uh, Dad, and just kind of um, Define what that means, uh, and then we can dive a little deeper into that. Uh, inductive inference is a um, very technical term, but uh, it would probably be better to work off of the uniformity of nature. Gotcha. Uh, in my mind, I would see them as the same, but if you get technical, they are slightly different. But even in uh, for Greg Bonson, he often, uh, even though they technically they, they are slightly different from each other and they're used in a different way. But for this uh, inductive inference or the uniformity of nature, we see is pretty much being the same thing that I, uh, that the the universe operates in a law like fashion. It op we know it operates in a law like fashion because God created it to operate that way. Mm. But we don't if we look at the belief system of the atheist in that the universe is uh is constantly evolving, which it means it's constantly changing. <laughs> well you know, for instance, they uh, say, well, uh, we know the Earth is uh, billions of years old because <laughs> of carbon-14 dating. But wait, if the Earth is evolving, how do we know that carbon, even if carbon-14 dating was accurate today, there's no way we know that it was accurate over 10,000 years ago when nobody was on the earth. We mm. have no way of knowing, you know, we could say possibly within the last 10,000 years when man was on the earth that we that we could say, well, maybe we could prove that carbon-14 dating is accurate. But after that, if everything is changing, there's no way you could use carbon-14 dating. Yeah. You have no idea. But they say, well, it's accurate. Well, it would ha the only way it could be accurate is if you believed that the Bible was true. Hmm. Yep. And since you don't believe the Bible is true, you couldn't even use carbon fourteen dating. <laughs> you have given up on reality. You've given up on science. Yes. And you've given up on all of the sciences. Yep. That's a really good point. That's fantastic. Thank you for for fleshing that out. And I, I I'm gonna leave that there. I think that defines it pretty well. Do you guys have anything you want to add to that point before we move on? No. All right, cool, <laughs> man. But there's, there's just, there's so much here, and I think we're unpacking this really, really well. Um, and we're gonna get, I mean, just so much into just a, a half hour segment. This is, <laughs> this is really good stuff. Each of these, you could, you could devote a whole month of lectures mm -hmm. to. <laughs> um, so, moving on to the next point, um, the concept of morality, and and this, this is a good one. I mean, this is going right for the jugular. I mean, this is extremely hard to defend from their viewpoint. You're essentially, at the end, you're just down to opinion. But I will um, I will leave that there, and I'll, I'll have you introduce kind of the, the concept of morality. So why is that a problem for the unbeliever? If there is no God, there couldn't possibly morality. Hmm. If we are just chance uh, going through the universe in that... Uh, if we, it, 
I'm thinking of uh, an atheist. Uh, I can't even think of his name, but he said that evolution is blind. Oh, was that Dawkins? Dawkins, thank you. Yep. Evolution is blind, pitiless <laughs> indifference. Yep. Okay. There, there's no, there's no pity in evolution. Mm. There's no, it's to- completely indifferent. So therefore, if there is no God, then there can't be sin. Hmm. There can't be morality. There can't be good and evil. Yeah. Uh, it, good and evil is only a, is reduced to an opinion. Yes. If you say, for instance, um, you, an atheist says, well, it's wrong to kill your neighbor. And I respond, I like Rocky Road ice cream. <laughs> because there's no difference between you killing your neighbor yeah. and me liking Rocky Road ice cream. It's a matter of opinion. Yep. Yep. It, it, there can't, it can't be wrong to kill your neighbor. From their worldview. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Do you guys have anything you, you want to add to that? No. All right. Um, oh, go ahead, I Jake. did want, uh, no, this is for later. Go okay. Ahead, <laughs> Sounds good. We have a lot to talk about today. So yeah, the, the list of topics is very long. So finding out where things fit is a little tricky, but yeah, that's, that's really, really good. I mean, morality at that point is just, is based on opinion now. I mean, if we're all just animals in the end, what does it matter, right? Who, right. who cares if, if uh, I mean, you always gave the example of a lion, right? A lion kills and eats another lion and we don't throw them in jail, right? If we're all just animals, why not be consistent? Let's put them in jail. Or why would we go to jail if we murder someone, right? From their worldview, there's no question there. There's no foundation. It's opinion. So, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, I, I do have a Go ahead. Um, so just going along with <clears throat> if the atheist is kind of stubborn in that they they want to follow this through and and they say in after after you explain that why why do we not throw the lion in jail <laughs> uh for killing and eating his neighbor yeah and if some if a human if if one of us kills and eats their neighbor we throw them in jail yep and 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 we ask is that right and they say yes it is right because and if and if they they want to go full blown into what they really believe, yeah. What would you say to an atheist who actually would agree with the fact that they could murder anyone? If they say they can murder, uh, or that murder is wrong, you simply ask based on uh, what standard. Hmm. You know, we have the Word of God; they don't have the Word of God. Yeah. Now. The uh, they may say, uh, well, if you murder, you'll get thrown into jail. But understand, there's no good, good or evil. If the government throws somebody in jail based on this, then they're just thugs, <laughs> because you know it, there's there's no standard. Yes, and so they're acting just as a mafia. Yes, uh, that hey, you you didn't pay us. So, or, uh, or we don't like you, so we're <laughs> going to throw you in a cage. Well, uh, and, you know, we discussed with Raymond Simmons' book, um, this worldview played out inevitably ends in communist Marxism. 
that's where it ends. That's where it goes. Because that's what happens when you remove God. Something has to fill that void. You know, something has to, because innate, it's written on our hearts after all. We have a longing for a God. Oftentimes our sin causes us to replace that with idols and sometimes civil government, right? But that void has to be filled, whether it's the one true God, our creator, or a false idol. That void, we will fill it as human beings. That's what we do. That's the way we were created. And so what happens when you, when you from that worldview, you say, there is no God, right? The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Then what you do is you make something else your God. You have to. That's the way you were built. And we see that throughout history. You can't deny that. I could bring up result, like uh, example after example after example throughout history. I could bring up passage after passage after path, passage in scripture that shows you will fill that hole. And what we see is usually the civil government fills that hole. And they're doing that today in our culture, right? And we've talked about that all the time on the show. They are taking the place of God. They are trying to che- teach your children. They are trying to give you health care. They are trying to do this, trying to do that, right? Take the place of all the other governments that God has instituted in society. That's where it goes. Because after all, it's just up in the air. They can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, really, really good point. Anything to add before we move on to our last point? If I may, yeah. uh, it, an unbeliever may may say that, well, we should have empathy. We should just feel uh, bad for our neighbor and, <laughs> and based on that feeling bad. And again, uh, you're, you're, uh, behind that is a biblical standard. Hmm. Why should we feel bad? You know, if it's indifferent, just feeling bad, so what? Or they say, well, it's not good for your uh, well-being if you kill people. <laughs> okay, so I, who cares about my well-being? If I don't care about my well-being, so what? See, there, the atheist may want to get you on the merry-go-round and say, well, you you got to claim authority to something. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not going to claim authority to anything except to the word of God. Yep. God is the standard of righteousness. Nothing else can be the standard. Not my family, not, not the government, nothing. In <laughs> yeah. only Certainly God not our own hearts. Standard. That's yep. right. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. That's really good. Um, all right. Moving on to our, our, your last bullet point here. And this is, whew, we, we, we took what, five minutes with this last one, 10 minutes with this. Oh my goodness. This next one you could spend hours on, but we only have time for about five minutes. So <laughs> we'll try and keep it short. Um, we're going to have another hour and 40 minute episode like last time, <laughs> like last week. Um, okay. So this next one is the concept of the mind. And, you know, this is one that, I think people misunderstand a lot. It gets misunderstood, right? Because we talk about the mind and the brain. We use those two things Mm -hmm. simultaneously. We just use them kind of the same, right? Interchangeably. Um, There's a mind, there's a brain. Um, But what we need to understand is that there, there is a difference, biblically speaking, right? We are to love the Lord our God with all of our mind, soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? There's a, there's a difference between the physical and our mind. So the mind, I'll let you, um, as the guest, kind of, what, what's the difference between our brain and our mind? 
the difference is that there's no link between the two. Hmm. Uh, Greg Bonson di- gave an illustration of that. If you, if a doctor was to cut open or cut the skull off of a person's brain and, and look at the gray matter and the uh, person started to think about the star spangled banner, the song, you could not look at the brain and say, Oh yeah, there it is. I see that. I see that he's thinking about that. You, you couldn't do that. They, there's no link between the physical gray matter, the brain and the, uh, the, the construct of, uh, of the mind hmm. it, that the, the two do not link together. Now the atheist would love to link to that together. I, I had a long debate with an atheist where they wanted to say, "Oh, uh, thou shall not steal" is located in this lobe of the brain. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> That's interesting. And so I, I spent a lot of time with that. I had a lot of fun with that, and we went in a, quite a few different directions. Of course, I at the end of the day, I, I just said, "So what?" Even if you could prove that thou shall not steal is part is located in this part of the brain, number one, you've just created an intelligent design. Because hmm. who put that in your brain? Who created that? Hmm. All right, I thought evolution was blind, pitiless indifference. Yeah. So now you're saying that evolution has intellect in hmm. it. So yeah. now you got yourself a huge problem. Yeah. And uh, now we have to discover who this being is that you just created. So we got a whole whole host of questions to ask about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. They just went from being an atheistic, uh, a materialistic atheist to being a dualist, uh, <laughs> which that has that it has its all fun altogether. And that's yeah. something maybe we should talk about a little bit. Yeah. But the the difference between the brain and the mind, a materialistic atheist cannot hold to the concept of the mind. Hmm. He must reduce everything to the brain. And all it is, is an electrochemical reaction. Yep. Uh, you know, Greg Bonson gave an illustration of, uh, of opening up a can of, of uh, soda in that it fizzes. Well, I fizz one way, you fizz another <laughs> way. And how does that give us truth? Yeah. Just because we fizz a certain way, there's no way to get to truth. There's no way of knowing that we have gotten to the truth if there is no mind. Mm. So we've given up on reason and logic. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And uh, yeah, we just had a quick technical difficulty, so we're we're right back now. So um, yeah, so that is that is such a huge huge topic to delve into. Really, really good topic to delve into. and, you know, g- growing up, I've read books from psychologists who, uh, you know, even coming from different uh, perspectives, even coming from a, a Buddhist perspective or a, a secular perspective, um, atheistic perspective, uh, there is no secularist, they're just worshiping another god. Um, but even they can't deny that there's something else. You know, the, the more they study, the more patience they have, the more they study the brain, the more they realize, oh, weird. There's something we can't account for. We we can't see it. We can't know what it is. What is this? They can't deny it. Um, and unfortunately, because they start from the wrong worldview, they start from the wrong place. They don't have the they don't have the understanding to know what it is they're talking about, which is the, the, the mind, the soul. Um, but even their own 
uh, science from their own perspective can't deny that there is a soul. Yeah. So really good, um, really good conversation. These were just three of the <laughs> uh, questions that unbelievers can't answer. The, the biblical fool can't answer. And we're going to talk about that more in a second. Anything else that you'd like to add before we move on to our literature segment? Nope. All right. Well, um, Dad, thanks so much for uh, being willing to, to join us even for, for this part, I know you're also going to be for the, for the next part, but thanks so much for, uh, you know, all these really good discussion points and kind of delving into, into some of this. So, um, this was, this was really good. So really exciting. Um, all right. Well, moving on to, um, our next section, but before I go on to the literature segment, I'm doing this new thing now where I'm actually going to just interject some announcements throughout the show. So I don't do all of them at the very beginning and just bore people for five to 10 straight minutes. Now you're going to know some more information throughout the show. So, okay. So I have, I have two announcements really quickly to make, and then we'll go to Joe. Um, but okay. first, um, we want to talk about our brand new referral program. Um, and that is at trdshow.net slash refer. And that is our referral program. If you want to earn free merch. Now we just announced that we have the merch store, right? But if you want to earn free merch, you can do that by going to trdshow.com. I'm sorry not.com, trdshow.net slash refer. That's how you can start entering into our referral program and start earning points towards free merch. Check that out. It also helps the show grow immensely. Also, our brand new newsletter. Head over to trdshow.net, scroll down to the bottom of the page and enter your email to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Even if you are already a listener. Okay, if you're already a listener on the show and you listen to us every week and you're into a routine, that's great. This newsletter is going to give you even more information, even more stuff, and we're going to be putting more things into this newsletter as we go. So all, if you can hear my voice, go to trdshow.net, scroll to the bottom of the page, put your email address in the newsletter. Also, that puts you on, a, on one of our newsletter lists that we can then also use for other things in the future. So if we have giveaways, if we have other programs we want to do with the show, if you're on that list you're going to get some other cool stuff in the future too. So maybe even some free merch in a year or two. Once we get a little bit of a bigger audience, who knows what could happen. So maybe that's a big enough incentive to get people to sign up for that, huh? What do you, what do you think? <laughs> you think that's going to work? Or discounted merch. <laughs> or discounted merch. Maybe, maybe a coupon code. We'll, we'll, hey, I don't know. We'll see. That could happen. It's totally within the realm of possibility. So go to drdshow.net, scroll to the bottom of the page, put in your email into the newsletter, uh, uh, a box? We'll call it a box. Yeah, it's a box. Put your email in there. And Joe, go ahead. You have something to say. Something. Oh, I just wanted to say something like, and now the TRD show ad. <laughs> just something <laughs> like that. I get it. Oh, yeah. you wanted to build up the hype for yes, that. Yes, yes, I wanted to build it. All right. You know, well, you, you can. You built it up post, post ad. So. And now you can edit it. <laughs> I'm not going to edit that out. What are you kidding me? No, you can That's move the it around. Best Oh, move it around? Nah. Oh, I think it's on. it's so much cooler after the fact. <laughs> 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 We're just going to confuse the heck out of the audience. And mm -hmm. it, it, it's fun sometimes. It's fun. Um, who doesn't like to be confused? Okay. Uh, what? You don't like to be confused? No, what are you never. talking about? What? Okay. Um, so, <laughs> moving on to our literature segment. Um, this month we read... I mean, we're reading Always Ready by Dr. Greg Bonson. And we've kind of collectively decided that we're only going to get about halfway through this book. <laughs> It's 35 chapters total, and this week we read chapters 13, 14, and 15. 
there was so much there. We were like, okay, nope, we got to stop. We can't read the rest of this section because this is already too much stuff we got to talk about. So we didn't get all the way through the section just because there's so much content. So we're going to read the other half of the section next week. And that is our last show with this book. And then later this year, we're going to read the other half of this book. So stay tuned for that. And if you like this book, or if you were confused, or if you have questions, or you like Bonson's approach, but you weren't really sure what he was getting at, we want to hear from you. Send us an email. Contact us. We want to answer your questions. If you have questions about Bonson's approach, about all the things that he's talking about, presuppositionalism, um, we want to hear about it. So, all right. First bullet point, Greg Bonson spent a large amount of time in these three chapters discussing the biblical definition of of a fool. Specifically, Dr. Bonson broke down what this means from an apologetic standpoint. Um, to begin this conversation, Greg Bronson brought up uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, which says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And we're going to be uh, talking about that a little bit later. But before I move on, anything that uh, you guys want to add? Yeah, this uh, this topic is a very uh, good one to start out with, specifically talking about this, that um, we, and uh, going into the subject of uh, presuppositional apologetics, we're, we're talking about that the Bible is our authority, and, mm. and also the verse that talks about um, that even God's foolishness is more than our wisdom. <laughs> yes. And... And so his word is uh, even greater than uh, our wisdom that we could come up with. And, and that's why there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that we just don't understand. And we probably won't understand. And But but moving into this topic that we do need to use the Bible, and, and talking about that myth of neutrality as well, we, we can't go to, we can't compromise our truth and go to the truth, go to the atheist's um, absolute truth. Yes. Yep. And so... Or ulti- we, their to, ultimate authority. Right. Yeah. Right. There we go. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Good Good point. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, one thing I did want to comment on, because this is going to come up a little bit later, just to kind of prime you for this, you know, these are rhetorical questions. Uh, Paul is saying... Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? You know, where are they? I don't see them, right? And Bonson's going to bring that up. They're nowhere to be found because you can't argue logically against the Bible. And Bonson's going to break that down. But these are rhetorical questions. Where is he? Where's the debater? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? They are so uh, scared of that because they know they can't win. Paul's asking here, where are they? In a logical discussion, they're nowhere to be found. Um, Moving on to the next bullet point on page 55, Dr. Bonson says, and here's his quote, In the long run, the believer must respond to the onslaught of the unbeliever by attacking the unbeliever's position at its foundations, end quote. He adds to this by saying, here's another quote, the pseudo wisdom of the world must be reduced to foolishness, in which case none of the unbeliever's criticisms have any force, end quote. I'm going to read one more bullet point 
and then I'll open up the floor just so we can get through some of these because <laughs> there's a lot here. Um, this one's a little bigger, but this is really important. Greg Bonson goes on to discuss the implications and biblical definitions of a fool, a biblical fool. Oftentimes, when we read the word fool in the Bible, uh, we might be inclined to think of an uneducated person or someone who's not in intellectually intelligent. Um, but Bonson clarifies this misconception on page 55 and says, here's his quote, in scriptural perspective, the fool is not basically a shallow-minded or illiterate ignoramus. He can be quite educated and sophisticated in social reckoning. However, he is a fool because he has forsaken the source of true wisdom in God in order to rely on his own, allegedly, self-sufficient intellectual powers. He is unteachable. That's Proverbs 10, chapter 8, or verse 8. Uh, and despises instruction, Proverbs 15, 5, end quote. Uh, and then he also added on page 56 that, and here's the rest of his quote, the fool has utter self-confidence and imagines himself to be intellectually autonomous. And we talked about this before, right? He's a law unto himself, right? That's what autonomous means. Um, and then he quotes uh, Proverbs 28, 26, which says, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, end quote. All right, that was a lot. Anything you guys want to comment on there or a bullet point you wanted to share before we move on? Yeah, with that Proverbs, um, I think that Proverbs really points out to why we should not lean on our own understanding. I, I don't mm. remember what Bible yeah. verse that is. That's really good. Leaning on our own understanding, well, we can have our own thought processes of how the world works or how something goes on and it can be completely wrong, but it, yet it will feel right because it makes you feel good. Yes. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. In every area of our lives, we, we can't just rely on our, on our own understanding. Yeah. Like, like, um, my, when we went to the store today, my brother had an encounter, uh, with somebody who commented on the shirt, but he was like, I listen to goth music whenever I'm in my times of trials and I'm like, and you and I were like, yeah. how, how does that, how does that even work? He, he doesn't believe in going to Christ because Christ will send people to hell. And so that's a position that he's yeah. like, he doesn't, he doesn't feel good emotionally about that. Yeah. yeah. Listening to your own heart. That's yeah. why, that's why it's really dangerous to listen and lean on your own understanding. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I hear he just kind of bolted before mm -hmm. you had a chance to respond. Yeah, it was um, a attack and then run kind of. <laughs> well, and that plays in nicely to this next point, actually, that that response, right? On page 56, Bonson says that the fool is, here's his quote, so in love with his folly and so dedicated to its preservation that, and then he quotes Proverbs 17, 12, which says, it is better for a man to meet a bear robbed of her whelps than a fool in his folly. Uh, and that's, again, Proverbs 17, 12. Um, continuing with Bonson's quote, he says, he is committed to his own presuppositions and wishes to guard his autonomy. Again, being a law unto himself. So, you know, <laughs> it's better for a man to meet a bear robbed of her children than a fool in his folly. He's so, he, he grasps, grasps onto it so tightly, right? There's, it's hard to discuss with people like that who are, who are grasping onto their, their foolishness so tightly. At least you can eat the bear. And you don't have to give it to funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Playing back into our original conversation about uh, moralism and relativism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, all right, moving Sorry, on. That fa- sounded funny in my head. <laughs> <laughs> you heard Bear, and you're immediately like, "Oh, moral relativism." <laughs> you know, it's you, you're reading too much Bonson. You know, when you're reading too much Bonson, when a mere mention of an animal brings up, "Oh, moral relativism." <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, connections I never made before. I like it, Joe. I like it. All right, so moving on to our uh, our next bullet point. Um, Adding to this biblical description of a fool, Bonson says on page 57 that, and here's his quote, the fool says there is no God. And, we, you know, I was talking about that earlier. Fool says in his heart, there is no God, right? And that's Psalms 14.1 and then uh, Isaiah 32.6. Uh, he lives and reasons in an atheistic manner as though he were his own Lord rather than being spiritually directed uh, the fool's vision is earthbound, Proverbs 17.24. He serves the creature, and then, for example, the authority of his own mind, rather than the creator, Romans chapter 125. A fool is one who does not make God and his revelation the starting point, the presupposition of his thinking, end quote. And then finally, Dr. Monson wraps up chapter 13 with an applicable call to action and says, here's his quote, the fool must be shown that his autonomy is hostile to knowledge, that God makes foolish the wisdom, quote-unquote, wisdom of the world, end quote. So that was a lot. That was our first section. Um, What did we find most interesting, right? Before I move on to the next section, you know, what did we find most surprising, things we'd heard before but didn't really consider that way, anything that you guys want to add and also dad as our guest as well you feel free to add or interject anywhere you'd like (laughs) uh it doesn't really quite relate to this but i I did want to uh flesh out a little bit what i said earlier about uh dualism uh we know dualism goes to uh plato but uh there are atheists that will say Uh, Well, I believe in the material and the immaterial. So what you're saying to me doesn't work. (laughs) Uh, In the simple question is, okay, how do you know? Uh, (laughs) You say there's immaterial. How do you know there's immaterial? Hmm. How do you you know what that is? Uh, Of course, Plato just guessed and he says, I don't know, but I think it's like this. (laughs) And I'm supposed to accept that? Right. You push on the... the, uh, for instance, like a deist, a deist will say, uh, well, I believe there's a God, but I don't think he's involved in the world. It's like, oh, how do you know that? Well, I don't. Uh, so they, it, it, it is really simple. And t- talking to a deist is even might even be more simple than talking to a materialistic atheist. But a deist is also a Buddhist. And a, a Buddhist will say, well, we have our, our books. It's like, OK, well, how do you know those books are right? Well, we don't, uh, you mm. know, it was, it was written by, by so-and-so, yeah. uh, by Buddha. And, uh, we don't, you know, it's like, well, why should I listen to Buddha? Mm. Yep. Uh, well, and they may retort and say, well, why should we listen to Jesus? Well, what does Christ say? If we don't listen to him, we go to hell. Yeah. He is, see, Buddha is not God. Mm. Uh, Buddha doesn't even claim to be God. Uh, so there is a distinction in that Buddha is just another man who claims to be wisdom. Yeah. But if he doesn't hold to the standard of the word of God for wisdom, 
Well, who determined that Buddha is wise? Yep. Who knows? You know, see, we're still dealing with relativism, and they uh, they have no foundation for their belief. Yep, exactly. Yeah, really good point. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's good to, to bring those up and, and consider all those different things. And yeah, and the amount of debates and discussions that you've been in is, is really helpful to know, you know, what these people are going to bring up and what they're going to say. So that's that's really helpful. And I wish we had more time to delve into that. But unfortunately, <laughs> we're running short on time. So I'm going to move on to my uh, my next bullet point. Um, which is, I, I really found the entirety of chapter 14. So now we're, we're kind of moving on to next. That was all chapter 13. <laughs> now we're moving on to chapter 14. Um, chapter 14 really answered this section's question quite well. Um, uh, throughout chapter 14, Bonson breaks down what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And we, you know, we mentioned that verse earlier uh, when he said, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So before I uh, go into that and break down what Bonson was saying, Joe, Jake, do you guys have anything to add? Any bullet points about this verse that you want to add? Okay. All right. Well, I will get through these fairly quickly then. (laughs) Um, So Bonson begins on page 59 by saying, and here's his quote, the word of the cross destroys the world's wisdom and brings its dis, uh, its discernment to nothing. And that's 1 Corinthians 1.19, end quote. Um, he, he later adds to this by commenting on 1 Corinthians 1.25 and says, and then he's quoting that, that verse here at the beginning of his quote, but he, the, the, that verse is, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 1 Corinthians 1.25. And Jake, that was the verse that... You brought up earlier as well. Um, although the unbeliever, this is the rest of Bonson's quote, although the unbeliever sees the Christian faith as foolish and weak, that faith has the strength and intellectual resources to expose worldly wisdom for what it truly is, utter foolishness. God has chosen the so-called foolish things of the world in order that he might put to shame those who boast their so-called wisdom. And that's verse 27 uh, of, I'm assuming, 1 Corinthians one. Uh, chapter one. So a lot there. Anything you wanted to add before we moved on? All right. So further adding to this on page 60, Dr. Bonson says, and here's a bigger quote. I, I included a lot of quotes because he, the way that he says it, I'm just like, he just, he gets right to the point. And if these quotes are up there, then at least you can kind of pause the video and go back and reread the quotes. But if we're the ones breaking it down and putting it into our own words, it, it can get like, oh man, this is a little, you know, confusing. This way, there's a lot of different layers and you can kind of look this up yourself. So page 60, Bonson says, when he comes up against the intellectual challenge of the gospel, as Paul would present it, the unregenerate is left with no place to stand. The outcome of the encounter is summarily expressed by Paul when he declares, where is the wise? Where is the disputer of this world? The fact is that God makes foolish the wisdom of this world, and thus the genuinely wise unbeliever is not to be found. I'll read that again. God makes foolish the wisdom of this world, and thus the genuinely wise unbeliever is not to be found. The man who can adequately debate and defend the outlook of this world, i.e. unbelief, has never lived. Rejection of the Christian faith cannot be justified, and the intellectual position of the unbeliever cannot be genuinely defended in the world of thought, end quote. All right, I've got two more bullet points before the end of this section. Anything you guys would like to add? 
Yeah, that um, it's it seems like such a big, broad statement to say that there is no debater. There is no one. <laughs> yeah. And there, there was no one and will be no one who can debate against God. And I mean, that's, that's totally true. Yeah. And as long as we're using the Bible as our talking points, as, as our argument, yes. as our absolute yes. truth, then it will be the same. Yeah, especially uh, going along with that. There's no debating when on the Day of Judgment Day. There, there's no <laughs> debating with God at all. Nope. <laughs> but I was it. No, you were not a Christian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really good point, Joe. Yep. The ultimate end. Yeah. Um, if I could also yeah. say, sorry, Bruce. Nope, go ahead. Uh, I think this points out, you know, w- I can't speak for everyone, but I, I don't think that we always feel this way mm. that, Oh, bring on the atheist. I, you know, that there's a, there's an answer. I'll just destroy them. And, uh, it, and the reason why is because we don't have a Christian education. Mm. We, we haven't been trained in the word of God. And I think, uh, with, when I was studying presuppositional apologetics, this more than anything hit me in that, I have a government school education in secular humanism, (laughs) and that is why I don't understand the Word of God, Mm. and that is why I can't debate an atheist, and that's why I pursued this, because I started realizing I was totally out of my league Mm. just because I didn't know the Word of God. I didn't know the foundations of the absolute authority of the Word of God. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. You know, we take for granted all of the presuppositions that have been implanted in our minds since the time we were born, right? We that's why they're presuppositions because they're they're unconscious things that we bring to the table, right? And the education we receive has such a massive impact on this. Um, you're you're totally right. It, it can't be under understated and you know it's i'm thankful every day that i was able to grow up in a family (laughs) that homeschooled me homeschooled jake you know joe same sort of thing you know we we, we've grown up in this in 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 the word of god and it's permeated every topic and every every subject that we've studied and it does it dramatically changes your outlook on the world and your outlook on life and your outlook on these conversations. So, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Education is vital. Absolutely vital. Yep. Christian education. Um, and that's not just a Christian school. Christian schools are, are, are decent, but they're, they're still not going to get to that that level that you really need. Right. On on so many levels. But. I digress. We could talk for a whole month on this. And in fact, we did last year. What was that? Uh, <laughs> October or November? We spent a whole month on education. So <laughs> and we're going to have to do that again sometime soon from maybe a presuppositional perspective. See if Bonson has an education book. <laughs> um, but actually, this is a good time before I go too much further. I know you mentioned, Dad, that you had a few books um, that you wanted to uh, share with the audience and share with us. Do you maybe want to share those now? Is, is this a good Yes. Time? 
Greg Bonson has quite a few books. Uh, Pushing the Antithesis, okay? Uh, the Impossibility of the Contrary Against All Opposition. Hmm. You can get these on uh, from Gary DeMar, Federal Vision, and they're just going to take the book that you're reading and they're expanding it, going into <laughs> far more detail. Wow. And uh, very good books. Uh, you can also look at the video series. Uh, you know, Greg Bonson, the, the beauty of Greg Bonson is that uh, he he died in 1995. So from 1970s, uh, he has audio. Mm. So you can go on there and listen to him. Uh, so uh, if the books are like, uh, I'm losing it, well, <laughs> switch to audio. Listen to a couple of his sermons. Yeah. And between the two, uh, you know, you'll get this. Don't think that you're going to get this in one sitting. You're mm. not. I've I've read, reread, triple read, and listened to many sermons over and over and over again before I got it. So don't think <laughs> that you're going to get it. And, and yeah. by the way, uh, I know two pastors, Reformed pastors, good preachers, and they told me privately, they said, I don't understand presuppositional <laughs> apologetics, not enough yeah. to use it. Yeah. So, so this is our pastors don't understand it. Mm. And it's, it's because we, we don't have Christian education and mm. the seminaries are pushing pastors out so fast that, uh, that the pastors don't, don't understand it. Yeah. They, they don't spend enough time to, to grasp these concepts. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we've talked um, at length about the deficiencies of the church, um, the, the unfortunate deficiencies that have led to the cultural uh, uh, collapse that we see today. I mean, um, Joe and I have had long conversations about that on the show and off the show. Um, yeah. I'll, so many of the issues we face today can be traced back to that. Um, and it's really, it's really unfortunate, but indeed. Um, well, very cool, and we will link those books in the description. Um, if you're listening to this, um, you know, on the podcast, go in the description, look for those books. If you're watching this on another platform, grab grab the link to these books, and you know, maybe you don't buy them now, but put them in your wish list. It's great Christmas present, great uh, great books to to spread. Same with our episode twenty, the books that uh, our mom Beth Johnson shared as well. Those are in um, the description of of that episode. So. All sorts of really good books. It's funny. Every time we have uh, either our dad or our mom on the show, there's always always books to share and always books to, to spread around. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, all right. Moving on as a, a practical example of some of the things we're talking about. Bonson quotes Van Til, uh, and we've talked at length about Cornel Cornelius Van Til. A lot of his quotes, I mean, Bonson was, was I believe, trained under him, um, so he quotes Van Til all the time. Um, and we have now on our about page, uh, a really good Van Tilian quote that, uh, uh, Raymond Simmons brought up, um, in his book. So lots of really good stuff here, but, uh, Van Til on page 61, this is his quote. The Christian apologist must place himself upon the position of his opponent, assuming the correctness of his method merely for argument's sake in order to show him that on such a, 
on such a position that facts are not facts and that laws are not laws. He must also ask the non-Christian to place himself upon the Christian position for argument's sake in order that he may be shown that only upon such a basis do facts and laws appear intelligible. So that was... Uh, <laughs> If you were reading that up on screen, if you're a podcast listener, I apologize profusely. This month is a little hard to follow. But if you're watching the video, you will have seen that quote up on screen. And oftentimes, these are a lot easier to watch up on, on screen. So, um, But what he's saying there is is the, the, the Christian apologist. So you, as the Christian apologist, must place, uh, place himself upon the position of his opponent, assuming the correctness of his method, merely for argument's sake. So he's saying, you know... You, for argument's sake, you know, we use that term all the time. For argument's sake, let's assume that's true, okay? Play it out. Take their position. Play it out. Assume that their argument is true. See where it goes, okay? And he says here, in order to show him that on such a position as that, right, the facts are not facts and the laws are not laws. They're opinions, like we were talking about earlier. He must also ask the, the non-Christian to place himself upon the Christian position. So let's be like, okay, we played out your, we played out your worldview. Now I want you to come on over here for a second. Let's, let's talk about this from my perspective and show you how God's word does answer the problems, does fix the problems, does answer the questions that we couldn't answer from your worldview. So um, anything to add to that before I move on? Nope. nope. All right. <laughs> guys are very quiet this episode <laughs> uh, all right moving on to third and final uh, well not third i mean i don't even know what number it is seventh or eighth <laughs> bullet point in this section uh, uh it's a long it's a big number uh a doc, dr bonson goes on to discuss proverbs 26 four through five here it is joe this was the proverb i was i was trying to find okay. earlier um and actually what this proverb is referring to is exactly what van till's quote was referring to and really i probably should have reversed these um but proverbs 26 4 through 5 says answer not a fool according to his folly lest you be like him yourself and then 20 or uh 26 5 says answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes so it sounds a little like huh those seem like you just said don't do that but then you said do that it's a little confusing right Bonson's about to break that down. So this is really good. Uh, on page 61, he breaks down this passage and says, quote, the fool must be answered by showing him his foolishness and the necessity of Christianity as the precondition of intelligibility. Dad was talking about that earlier. The unbeliever should not be answered in terms of his own misguided presuppositions. The apologist should defend his faith by working within his own presuppositions. If he surrenders to the assumptions of the unbeliever, the believer will never effectively set forth a reason for the hope that is within him. End quote. Joe, as our audience go between, did that quote make sense or was it confusing? <laughs> as our translator. <laughs> um, how about I blanked out? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, well, I can kind of reiterate a little bit, Joe, if, okay. if that helps. But, you know, the fool must be answered by showing him his foolishness and the necessity of Christianity as the precondition of intelligibility. The unbeliever should not be answered in terms of his own misguided presuppositions. The apologist should defend his faith by working within his own presuppositions, right? If he surrenders to the assumptions of the unbeliever, the believer will never effectively set forth a reason for the hope that is within him. What do you think? 
So break it down. Did that <laughs> break it down? Okay. Are there parts of that that are confusing more than others? What do you think? Um. So I mean, it starts out the fool must be answered by showing him his foolishness and the necessity of Christianity as the precondition of intelligibility. Right. That is a huge phrase, right? Precondition mm-hmm. of intelligibility. Basically. The precondition, before you can have intelligibility, before you can have intellect, knowledge, epistemology, right? We talked about study of knowledge, right? Where does knowledge come from? What is knowledge? Before you can have epistemology, before you can have intelligibility, any of those things, what is the, what are the, what are the conditions prior to that, right? Like what, within what confines can you have real knowledge, real wisdom, okay? The fool must be answered by showing him his foolish, fool, foolishness, right? Because He's not within those confines. He's not within the word of God. He, he's not there. So it's foolishness and the necessity of Christianity as the precondition of intelligibility. So without Christianity, you can't have the preconditions of intelligibility. Next part of that is the unbeliever should not be answered in terms of his own misguided presuppositions, which that kind of makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And then the apologist should defend his faith by working within his own presupposition. So that's what we talked about in the first episode uh, of this month with, you know, what is your ultimate standard? Is science your ultimate standard? Are you going to rely on your own heart or are you going to rely on the word of God, right? Um, and then if he surrenders, if, if the believer surrenders to the assumptions of the unbeliever, the believer will never effectively set forth a reason for the hope that is within him. Does that make sense? I think so. Okay. Any outstanding questions? Cool. All right. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to introduce the next bit, and then Jake's kind of introduce us even further into this next part of this. But what part of the reading most applies to our theme this month? And as a reminder, our theme is effectively giving answers for the hope that lies within us. So we, we've been kind of using this section as a really good way to, to practically apply what we've been talking about, what we've been learning. So, Jake, I hear you want to kick it off. Go for it. All righty. So, um we move now into chapter 15, where uh, Mr. Bonson sets out, a, out clear steps for us to take. Now, point four is something that I want to talk on a little bit, but um, I just wanted to cover all of them so that we can see them all and we can understand them all. So, so really quickly, starting... before you go, <laughs> totally don't want to distract you or derail you or anything. Did want to just provide just a little bit of context. You know, you're talking about points and, and mm-hmm. answering a question. But the question is, how do I answer the fool? Right? That's what sorry. he's titled that yeah. that chapter. So now within that context, yeah. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> how do we answer yeah, the fool? No, yeah, that, that's perfect. Uh, it would have been even more confusing if I hadn't, <laughs> hadn't first started with that. But uh, yeah, so on, on page uh, 63 is where this quote can be found. But uh, Mr. Bonson talks about, uh, it has been, in, been observed that number one, the intellectual outlook of the unbeliever is that of a fool in the scriptural sense. Number two, the unbeliever proclaims a pseudo-wisdom, which is in reality a hatred and destruction of knowledge. Number three, God makes foolish the wisdom of the world and puts it to shame through his people, who are unable who are enabled to cast down every high imagination exalted against an a knowledge of him. And four, in order to give an answer to the fool, the believer should follow a twofold process. A, refusing to answer in terms of the fool's presuppositions, for they undermine the Christian pres- position, and then 
B, answering in terms of the fool's presuppositions in order to show where they lead, namely to epistemological futility. Yes. Now, again, I wanted to focus on point four there is because up until that point, point one, two, and three are all things that we should know before answering a fool. But then point four specifically goes on how we exactly answer that fool in an actual conversation. Hmm. And starting with number A, first, refusing to begin talking about scientific reasoning. And and the fool's um, presupposition... Yeah, you're right. The fool presupposes that science is their truth. And science is where they get their facts from. Ultimate authority, and, yeah. Exactly. And, but we can't go there. If mm. we go there, then we are giving up on our presuppositions. Yes. And we need to stay in the authority of God's word. Yes. And, and then we move on to the second one, B, answering in terms of the fool's presuppositions in order to show where they lead. And this is what we were talking about before in chapter 14, that we take what the fool says, namely, um, they say we cannot murder. But then we take that and we say, but that's not what your worldview says. Hmm. And and we, we don't even yep. go a little bit and, and say just a tad little bit on that. <laughs> we go to the extreme yes. to show exactly where their foolishness leads. And, and that really puts a shock into the system and it really shows them that what they're saying is foolish yes and so that's that was my introduction yes yes yeah and and, and playing uh, playing that out right actually showing them hey you know sure within a normal society within a restrained society where we're all kind of just playing by the same rules right let's just assume that we're living in the society we're living in today and even that's you know, crumbling, but, but we still hold on to some of those Christian principles in our society. So, so they're kind of sheltered from what it would actually look like not to have a Christian society, right? Not to have that permeated through all of society, right? They're, they're, they're sheltered from that. So let's, let's have a thought experiment. Let's, let's imagine what it would actually look like for you to live in your world, the world that you claim to believe in. Let's actually show you what that looks like. And let me tell you, it ain't pretty. It leads to some very dark places. And, you know, what? one of the really interesting things about history is that we can see those things, you know. Um, when, when you're talking about, like, um, uh, and eschatology and when you're talking about end times and all of that, you know, people often ask, well, hey, you know, things don't seem to be getting better. What's going on here? Seems like it's getting worse. But, one of the interesting things that I like to bring up is, hey, well, we have example after example after example in history of how not to do it, right? We have examples of people who are failing. We have Venezuela. We have, uh, we have Russia. We have all these countries that have tried to go away from God's word and look what happened to them, okay? That is a result of their, their worldview being played out on a grand scale. And so... We can show that. We can demonstrate. God has given us those examples throughout history. 
it's really unfortunate for the people that lived through those. But we now have the benefit of, of uh, hindsight to look back and say, hey, this has been tried. You know, your worldview has been tried to the extreme. This is where it went. And this date, this happened. On this date, this happened. Which is why knowing history, God's story of, of what has happened, what he's done on the earth, right? Knowing that, we can use to defend um, and really give an answer for these sorts of things. So, really good point. Really good point. Um, Joe, anything to add? All right. So, cool. I will uh, I will move on to my next point. Um, Bonson, at this point, issued a reminder that we should always remember the humble boldness that we discussed last week. While we are destroying arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and that was our verse today, right? Um, we should be doing it in a way that is both humble and bold. Bonson lists 1 Peter 3, 3, uh, 3.15 as further evidence of the humility we're called to. And then here's that verse. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. End quote. And that's, uh, that's the verse that dad brought up earlier in the show, right? Always be ready for that, but do it in gentleness and respect. Additionally, Dr. Bonson quotes 2 Timothy 2 verses 24 through 25, which says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Uh, Opponents must be gently instructed, note, still instructed, but gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth, end quote. Um, so anything you wanted to add about that? I have two bullet points before I'm done. So anything you wanted to add before I moved on? Joe or Jake? Nope. Dad is our guest. <laughs> nope. All right. Um, so while 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 25 talks about humility and being gentle while giving an answer to the hope within us, verse 23 says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments (laughs) because you know they produce quarrels. That's the end of that verse. Greg Bonson on page 64 says that, here's his quote, this passage teaches that those who are challenged to defend their faith must not consent to answers in terms, uh, to answer in terms of foolish unbelief. Paul commands us to reject foolish questions. That is, questions given from the fool's point of view, end quote. He adds on page 65, uh, he adds to this and says, uh, the avoidance of foolish questions does not take the form of silence. And I'm going to get to that in just a second. But I, I, I did want to call back to this, you know, that, that second Timothy uh, 2, 24 through 25, you know, don't have anything to do with foolish arguments because, you know, they produce quarrels. I, I, I really found it interesting how, how Bonson tied this in on page 64, you know, like, do not, um, this passage teaches that those who are challenged to defend their faith must not consent to answer them in terms of foolish unbelief, right? Paul commands us to reject foolish questions. That is questions given from the fool's point of view. Reject those, right? But how do we do that? What? Do, how do we reject those, right? Bonson goes on on page 65 and says that the, the avoidance of foolish questions does not take the form of silence. The passage above indicates that we are to educate the questioner an answer is to be given 
but not an answer which conforms to the foolish presuppositions behind the question, end quote. And we are really running out of time. Thank you, Jacob, for being our timekeeper. <laughs> um, so there's a lot to unpack here, a lot to discuss. Uh, but before I go to my final point, anything you guys would like to add? Nope. All right. <laughs> Keeping it moving. All right. So finally, Dr. Bonson concludes chapter 15 with a reminder of who conversion and renewal of thought come from. He says on page 65 that, here's his quote, a man will be converted only if it is granted to him from God. It is he who also determines whether our apologetic witness will be fruitful or not. Thus, it behooves us to avoid any attempt to improve upon the scriptural approach to apologetics. Our duty is to be faithful to the Lord's instructions. He will bless obedience to his will. Success cannot come by circumventing it, end quote. So that is a really good quote. <laughs> what he's saying there is, you know, who ultimately is in charge of our apology, whether it's uh, whether our apologetics are successful or not? Who's in charge of that? Is it us? Do we plant the seed? Right. Well, I, we plant the seed. Who gives the increase? Who brings that into a tree? Who brings that into fruition? Right. God does. Right. So Bonson's saying here, thus it behooves us to attempt to. Uh, to avoid any attempt to improve upon the scriptural approach to apologetics. Our duty is to be faithful to the Lord's instructions. We need to approach apologetics just like we approach everything else. If the Bible is truly our ultimate standard, we need to approach it biblically. Not, not any other way. We, we, we don't improve upon the instructions that God has given us, right? <laughs> we approach it biblically. And we're going to get into, into a lot more of that, uh, the applicable side of this, next week. So again, to reiterate, a lot of this is uh, uh, um, theoretical, right? A lot of this is, is setting up the framework for the next set of discussions that we're going to have. So uh, we may not get to it this month, but we've set a good foundation. And like we said last week, these things don't just apply to apologetics, right? Using the word of God as our ultimate authority isn't just apologetics. We, we, we do this for everything, right? So this is kind of a resetting, a reframing of not just, the, not just the way we approach apologetics, but the way we approach everything. We need to question our presuppositions in everything that we're doing when it comes to civil government, when it comes to family, when it comes to church, when it comes to our individual lives. We need to make sure that our ultimate authority is not this world. It's not ourselves. It's not science. It's the word of God. When we have a question about these sorts of things. We need to look to the word of God first and then the tools, the rest of the tools later, right? Anything you guys want to add before we wrap it up? No. All right. Well, thanks, uh, dad, for joining us today. This was, this was really interesting. Uh, really oh. good conversations. Um, so yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And We'd love to have uh, you on again sometime for sure. Uh, and maybe the next time we're going through the other half of Bonson's book. So <laughs> Can't wait. Awesome. <laughs> so yeah, those books are linked in the description. So definitely check those out. Don't forget, go to crosspolitik.com slash Liberty Tour. That's where you can sign up for the April 7th CrossPolitik event here hosted by the Reform Dissenters. So hey, you want to meet us in person? 
that's where you do it. Uh, we'd love to meet and talk with you. Um, go to our website, trdshow.net. That's where you can do all sorts of cool stuff. Just sign up for an account there. Okay, go to trdshow.net. Look up in the in the top bar and it'll say log in, sign up, create an account. We'd love to have you create an account there so you can start sharing TRD with your friends um, and earning points towards, uh, you know, free merch like stickers and t-shirts and cool looking mugs like this uh and mugs like this i guess no okay um (laughs) all right and our podcast listeners are very confused um and and, uh yeah i just refer to our ugly faces as cool mugs i think you refer to your face oh my okay joe all right my ugly mug was the okay all right you got it all right um and uh yeah and go to our newsletter. Sign up for our newsletter. It's on the homepage. Um, so, yeah, if, if you still want to listen to us, you know, after all that, we'd love for you to keep listening. You know, anyways, um, go to our newsletter, trdshow.net, and uh, scroll to the bottom of the page. Also, contact us. Answer some questions. We asked all sorts of questions throughout this episode. We want to get answers from you. Talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, until then, we will see you in the next episode. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do as unto the Lord. <laughs>